I'm Zivy Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Please sign up for my newsletter at zivyowens.com for updates on podcast guests and lots of live events. I am thrilled to announce that Audible is the sponsor for this podcast. Thank you so much to Audible. If you don't know Audible, which would be surprising, but let's just pretend, Audible is the leading provider of spoken word entertainment and audiobooks, ranging from bestsellers to celebrity memoirs, news, business, and self-development. Every month, members of Audible get one credit to pick any title, plus two Audible originals from a monthly selection, and access to daily news digests. You probably know all this. You might not know how much I really enjoy Audible myself. Um, I recently listened to Neil Pastricha's How to Get Back Up, uh, his memoir, and it's stories about his mother and her life and things about being of Indian descent in America. Anyway, it was so good. Um, I listened to it while I tried to go on a hike one day. And um, Audible is just fantastic. And I'm thrilled because all of you guys listen to podcasts. You already like to listen to things. Audiobooks seem like a natural fit. So I'm thrilled to be bringing them to you. So please go to audible.com slash Zibby, or you can even text Zibby, Z-I-B-B-Y, to 500-500. So please do go shopping. Think about trying out Neil Pasricha's book. That's really good. And check out Audible if you haven't already and try uh, listening to a book that way. It's a unique experience and it definitely adds something, especially for moms who don't have time to read. Renee Watson is the New York Times bestselling author, educator, and activist. Her young adult novel, Piecing Me Together, received a Coretta Scott King Award and a Newbery Honor. Her children's picture books and novels for teens have received several awards and international recognition. She's given lots of readings and lectures, like places like the UN, the Library of Congress, if you've heard of any of those. Her books include young adult novels, like This Side of Home, which was nominated for the Best Fiction for Young Adults by the American Library Association, and Watch Us Rise, co-written with Ellen Hagen. Her picture book, Harlem's Little Blackbird, the story of Florence Mills, received several honors, including an NAACP Image Award nomination in children's literature. Her most recent book is called Ways to Make Sunshine. Renee grew up in Portland, Oregon, and now lives in New York City. Welcome, Renee. Thanks so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thanks for having me. I loved your most recent book, and I was feeling the pain of the girl who is under the water with her hair getting like totally disheveled with red, her nemesis in the book, and just feeling like, I feel like every child has been in a situation where they have to do something they don't want to do, and it goes against everything their family believes in, and they mm-hmm. believe in, and everything to like fit in. Anyway, I feel like I'm like right in that moment in your book, and I just am like, can't wait to talk to you about it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Ryan is the character you're mentioning. She she is trying to figure out how do I stay a leader no matter where I am? How do I hold on to my values and, you know, show up in the way that my parents expect me to show up in the world? And sometimes she gets it right and sometimes not so much. She can be jealous and comp- she's super competitive. So in that scene, you know, she's really trying to prove that she is Amanda's best friend. And that is like what gets her her comp- her competitive nature and her feeling a little insecure about this new girl, Red, coming into the friendship group. She's like, nope, I got to like protect my friend and, and my spot <laughs> and you're not going to take her away from me. So, yeah, I like Ryan as a character. She was fun to write because she's flawed. 
You know, she's not this perfect girl who always makes the right decisions and does everything correctly. She's figuring it out and she messes up along the way. And I love how her name is really, what is it, lion or leader or something where every time she goes into a situation, she's reminded that she was named to be a leader and like has to carry that sense of sort of gravitas into everything from the schoolroom yeah. to a play date to whatever. Yeah, Ryan means king. King, sorry, there we go. See, I got the lion, I got king of the jungle. (laughs) Her parents are always telling her, be who we named you to be. So yeah, they're telling her, be a leader, be thoughtful, be respectful, be kind. And so she's, you know, she's in the fourth grade. So sometimes it's really hard (laughs) to be all of those things. So she's figuring it out. So how do you do this? You've written so many books at this point, including a Newbery Award-winning novel and middle grade. And you've also just did, you're doing the Oprah Winfrey new leaders, which is so amazing. I'm really excited about that. Yeah. Wait, let me take this one at a time. I'm like rambling here. Okay. (laughs) I wanted to know how you came up with the idea for this, your most recent book, but then I wanted to talk about the Oprah Winfrey book and all the other amazing things you do. So tell me this book we were just talking about with Ryan and everything. How did you come up with this plot? What made you, and how do you come up with all your plots really? Mm -hmm. So Ways to Make Sunshine is the book that just came out in April. And I wanted to write, I have been writing books that really tackle social issues and really think about, you know, young girls finding their voices to speak out against injustice or speak out and and say who they are and, and name their own identities. So I needed to, as a writer, do something that wasn't as serious or as, you know, social justice warrior girl. (laughs) So I was thinking of what is, how can I explore just a girl who is having fun in her neighborhood, riding her bike, racing the boys, um, figuring out that she is strong and, and how she can be brave and what her talents are, you know. So I just wanted to play around with Black joy and just the fun part of being a child and, and, and focus on that. So I was thinking about, well, how could this take shape? And, you know, what's the plot? And I really loved the Ramona series growing up. I've read all of Beverly Cleary's books and Beverly Cleary, you know, she's from Oregon and Ramona lived in Portland. So I I wanted to write a story in that vein about a black girl who lives in Portland and is rambunctious and makes up concoctions in the kitchen and experiments when she's cooking with her mom. So it was kind of an ode to Ramona and ode to Beverly Cleary. I remember what it felt like to see streets that I recognized on the page in a book was so cool to me as a kid to be like, I know that park. I know that street. And my aunt lived near Clickitat Street. And so I always would joke that, you know, Ramona was my aunt's friend. And, you know, so anyway, I just wanted to give that to black kids in Portland and then, you know, kids in all children to have a book that has some joy in it. And and it just so happened to come out at a time when I think we all kind of need a little bit of sunshine and a little bit of, of joy in our lives. And so I've been having conversations with young people about that. How do you make sunshine? How do you use Ryan as kind of an example of like, things are not the way we want them to be right now. And there is some sadness and there's some very real pain happening But where is the good and how can we do good and not just complain about what's going on? So, yeah, that's ways to make sunshine. And I'm super excited that it's out in the world. It's the first book of a series. So I'm also working on book two right now. 
Awesome. I did not know that Clickitat Street or whatever it was, I did not know that was a real place until you said that right now. <laughs> and I have read all those books. Obviously, I grew up with them all, Ramona and Beezus and all the rest. And I started reading them to my kids, although for whatever reason, they weren't as into them as I was. I was like, aren't these amazing? And they're like, whatever. Where's like, what? anyway, I haven't read them yours yet. I kept those for myself. But yeah, I just didn't even know that was a real place. So thank you for that. Yeah. <laughs> Fun fact. Yeah. I feel like Ryan also, I mean, her family's going through so many transitions, right? You have her family mm-hmm. moving in the very beginning and her father has been working for the post office and then he has to leave that job and get a night job and a new area and they have to like make it seem like a palatable fun move as parents try to do about everything for their kids and then really like you know they get there and Ryan's like what what is this house like I don't think so (laughs) and then you have her sort of get into it and like pull out the the step stool that she finds and realize you know what in any house I can be whoever I am it's not about where I live it's about my family and that's so true I feel like right now everybody feels like so displaced or just like their regular lives are completely disrupted like Ryan's was and you have to figure out what's important which is really like family and who you are so I feel like it's such a timely message thank you yeah you know change is really hard it's hard for adults (laughs) so let alone a young person who doesn't have a lot of power to make decisions or you know really do the things that they might want to do so I was I wanted to think about how does a young person deal with a changing world and things that are out of their control. So like you mentioned, her father loses a job. They have to downsize. They lose one of their cars. They It changes the family dynamic. He's the one who normally takes them to school. That can't happen anymore. You know, all these things that from a child's perspective feel so big and so life-changing. And I think sometimes adults Rightfully so. I mean, you know, we have to think of the big picture, bills and all the other kinds of things that parents are thinking about. And so I feel like it's my responsibility as a writer who writes books for young people is to put them at the center and think about their feelings and emotions while the adults are having to deal with the big picture stuff. For a little girl, you know, having to move, she's worried about this new creepy room that she's never slept in and does she need a nightlight or not? You know, worrying about is she going to still be able to be as close to her friends as she used to be? And those are big deal. That's a big deal, I think, when you're in the fourth grade. (laughs) You know, friendship dynamics and all of that. So, yeah, the book is a lot about change and coping with change. When she found the box that the previous sort of tenant in the house had like up on the shelf, I was like, don't open it. No, don't open it. <laughs> but she wasn't listening to me. Anyway, whatever. <laughs> so why why do this? Why do this sort of gift to middle grade readers? Why why you? Why have you dedicated your life to this? Like, tell me about that. I, you know, I've just always loved words. I've always loved stories. When I was a young person, I always say, like, I found some of my my best friends were in books. You know, I read Judy Bloom books. I read, so like, Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. I read a lot of poetry and felt very seen and validated in the lines of poems. And so I think for me, I want young people to feel seen and validated when they're reading my work. And I want them to be able to relate to characters. I think we were talking a moment ago about adults are having very adult conversations, (laughs) but young people need to be having those conversations too, right? Just on a kid level. And so there's so much happening in the world right now. I want my books to help young people process 
what is going on. So some of my other books, you know, really explicitly deal with race and class and the intersections of race, class and gender. And how do we, you know, for a teenager who is definitely seeing what's happening and wants to talk about it and wants to get involved, not just talk about it, but like do something. Um, I see literature as a way, as one of the ways that we can engage young people in conversations. It's a safe space because you can talk about the characters. You don't have to kind of reveal your stuff yet. Um, And so, yeah, I think I've dedicated my life to that because I had that as a child. I had teachers and, of course, my mother who gave me books and gave me journals and told me to write my story and always were asking me, what do you have to say? What do you think about what's going on? And so I don't know any other way to be. I feel like it just kind of feels like a calling, like a second nature to me is to process things through art and art making. And so for me, my art form is the written word. And I love how on Instagram you posted when you were on the bestseller list on Mother's Day, how you said something like to your mom that like, could you, you know, all those books she gave you and could you two have imagined that after all that, look where you would be on Mother's Day. That's so amazing. It was so, I couldn't have planned that better, right? (laughs) Like come out on Mother's Day and be in the paper was the beautiful review was so. Oh, that's what it was. It was a thoughtful review. Sorry. Yes. I'm so thorough and I loved that. And yeah, I was sharing that my mother read. I mean, she let what I read to her while she was cooking or doing, you know, the busy things that she needed to get done. I was always like, I have a new story that I wrote. Can I read it to you? I have a poem that I wrote. Can I read it to you? We'd be in the car. I'm in the back seat. Can I read? You know, she's going to turn down the music. Okay, Renee. I'm sure my siblings were so annoyed and tired of me with my stories and, and wanting them to be characters. I would also put on like plays and act out some of the things that I wrote. But she never, she always fanned the flame. And never like told me, you know, enough with your stories, enough with your poems. Yeah, she encouraged me. And and I think that that, well, I know that that's a big part of why I'm a writer is because like I didn't see writers who looked like me, but I knew that I could be one because my mother encouraged me and, and believed in me. And that's another reason why I write. I want, I go to schools a lot. I do a ton of school visits and try to meet as many young people as I can so that they can see one, that writers are alive and living. And a lot of times in schools we study, you know, dead poets and writers. So it's nice, I think, for them to see, like, this person is a contemporary author making a living off of their words. And if they want to do that, that they could do that, too. That's amazing. Well, maybe I'll be doing a lot more, like, virtual school visits yes. in the fall. And <clears throat> yeah. I'm currently in a, in a panic about what all my kids are doing for the fall. So who knows what's happening. But... Oh, <laughs> Let's see. So let's go back to, it's so funny because I follow Jill Santopolo, who was on my podcast for her books, and then she posted about how she was so excited to announce this whole series. And then like, I went to, and then I'm like scrolling and I'm like, and you wrote one of those books. So explain (laughs) the whole story. I feel like I'm getting all my facts and words mixed up today. So you, you say what the, exactly what the series is and and how you got involved in it. So Chelsea Clinton, she wrote a picture book called She Persisted. And in that picture book, it features very short bios of women who persisted and overcame and, you know, fought for 
justice or use their voices or their talents to be great citizens of our world. And so it's a beautiful picture book. And now they have taken those women and they want to have chapter books for a little older audience. And so they reached out to 12 women to write these 12 stories. And I am writing Oprah's biography. So it'll be out. My book, all of the series, the first book comes out in January of 2021. And then each month of the year, a new book will be out. And so mine does not come out until December. It's the last one. Oh, no. (laughs) Wild away. But there is such an amazing lineup of of the women who we are writing about and also the authors that Chelsea reached out to and selected. I just, I'm very honored to be a part of the project and I'm writing alongside some of my friends, writers that I admire and respect. And so it really does feel like a sisterhood in this very real way. And sometimes, you know, projects can be manipulated and made and marketed in a way, but this is a very authentic, like, we are in it together in, in real life. Like I know Kekla, I know Meg Medina, I know these authors and we are having conversations about what it means to write for young girls, what it means to write a girl character and want everyone to read it, not just girls, you know, like that conversation of how do we teach our boys to respect women and respect women's voices. So yeah, it feels really great to be a part of the project. I'm, I'm super excited about it. And Jill is great. I've just worked with her and known her just by friendship and she's a wonderful person. So yeah, it's been a, it's been a great project to be a part of. And I'm glad the news is out. Like we are, when these things happen, it's hush hush for a while. And so it was nice to finally share that this is in the works. That's awesome. So I actually, I have like a two book deal with Penguin Random House for children's books. Thanks. Yeah. But I couldn't, I couldn't talk about it for like almost seven months. And I was like dying to say something. Anyway, I finally could like, I finally, you know, it takes just so long. So I know what you mean. Yours is way bigger news. Mine are like these tiny little books, but getting published is big news. So (laughs) thank you. But yeah, Jill, I saw Jill when I was in there and she was like, try to get a bigger book deal. (laughs) Try a three book deal, four book deal. I was like, yeah, however many, let's keep adding them on. (laughs) Anyway, too funny. So tell me a little about your writing process. When you get an idea for a book and everything, you sit down, where do you like to write? How long does each book take? Do you, you know, the whole thing? Yeah. So I say this often. I do a lot of writing in my head. I'm a thinker first. So I go on walks and I'm just kind of thinking about the character, who they are, what they're afraid of, what do they like, what do they want, and what's in the way of them getting what they want. So I'm kind of just thinking about them before I start writing. And I think that that's important. And I listen. I just pay attention to the world around me and I'm just constantly kind of taking in what the world, what's happening so that when I sit down, I have something to say and I'm not thinking, you know, in that moment of trying to think of an idea. I, I already have so much in my head and I handwrite first. There's something about, I'm just old school in that way, something about pen to paper that makes me more intimate with my character in the beginning and really gets me kind of, I usually write books in first person. So it's, it's really helps me get in there head a little bit more. And then once I feel like I have, okay, something's here and I know who this character is, then I'll start typing it out. And, you know, I don't handwrite the whole novel. So I'll work on it and get it to about 60 pages. And then I print it out, read it. And then I'm like, okay, this is 
this is something and what, what needs to happen next, what needs to happen before these 60 pages. And that's when I kind of start crafting out the fuller story. But it, I'm, I'm messy when I write. I'll write a scene and there will be parts in it that's in parentheses and says something needs to happen here or <laughs> conversation about, you know, whatever. And then I'll keep going just so that I can get it out. And then when I have a full story, I can go back and really layer it and, you know, fine tune it and be a writer. I feel like in the beginning, I'm more of a storyteller. I'm just kind of getting the story out and I'm not paying attention to craft as much. But as I draft then I really, really, you know, hone in on how do I want to tell this story? What's what's the best beginning, you know, first paragraph and all of that kind of stuff. And I like to write. I mean, at this point in my career, I have to just write anywhere. So I've learned how to write in airports and hotels and all kinds of noisy places. But my preference is a coffee shop or my home office. And I I have my favorite coffee places and I don't even drink coffee. I'm a tea person, <laughs> but I have my places that I love to go in different cities. And I, I usually have a playlist that coincides with, with the novel in some way, like a soundtrack so that I'm in that world. And so I put my headphones on and I just work for a few hours. There's something about being out where there are people, but also being by yourself. Writing is so isolating anyway. And so I like to be out and about because <laughs> I could really just stay in all day for like weeks and weeks and weeks if I'm working on a project. And I don't, for me, that's not healthy. So I need to be around people, but I'm in my own world with my headphones. So I kind of get the best of both worlds of being the introvert and having to write, but also being out and seeing people. So here's my issue with writing at bookstores, because I have tried doing this in the past. But then like, if I'm going to go set up shop at like Pan Quotidian, right near my, or like near the kids' school or something like that. Then what happens when you have to get up and you like, go to the bathroom? Like, I never know what to do with all my stuff. Do I have to pack up every time or do I ask somebody to watch my stuff? So then I'm like, forget it. I'm just going to work at home. <laughs> yeah, it depends. I mean, I, I definitely have some places that I feel like are writer friendly. So there's kind of a code where we're all working. So yeah, you give the you know, do you mind? And, and then I'm going to go and you're next, you know, trade off kind of thing. And then, yeah, if I don't know the place, I will pack up my stuff. Usually I don't have a lot. I really just have my laptop and like, you know, my phone out on the table. So it's easier to, to bring that with me when I'm revising. So that's writing. I write out in public. I create in public. When I am in the throes of like, revising and plot and storyboarding. And I have like post-it notes on the wall of all the scenes. I have to be at home. It's just, it's too, like you said, it's way too much stuff to like <laughs> try to take and then take over a whole table in a public space. And, you know, I'm in New York, so there are not that many public spaces that actually have that kind of space. So yeah, when I'm, when I have all my writerly things out, I, t- I tend to write home in my office. I really love how you just said a minute ago how part of it is storytelling, but that's separate from the writing. It's almost, it's, it's like building a house, right? It's like you're, you, first you're building the structure and then like the painters come in, you know, <laughs> like yeah, it's all the different stages. But to be a truly gifted author, you have to have both of those abilities. Like you can't just like be a great writer, but not know how to tell a good story or vice versa. <laughs> I work hand in hand for sure. Yeah. And I try to really think, I think a lot about the craft of writing. I think the poet in me, I first 
as an, a child, wrote a lot of poetry, studied a lot of poetry, and then I taught it and, and as a teaching artist in many schools. So I think a lot about word choice and sentence structure and when do you break a sentence or the white space on a page and how that conveys emotion and is also telling your reader something, not just the words. So yeah, I dig into that kind of stuff when I'm later on in the draft and then really have the full story. But in the beginning, I'm not necessarily thinking about those things. So I'll go back through and be like, oh, you need to rework this whole paragraph. Like what is happening is fine, but let's you know say that in a different way or let it unfold differently. So I try to take time with the writing. I, that, I love that part of it, actually. A lot of people don't like to revise, but I, I do enjoy going back and revisiting and revisioning the story. Love that. Revisioning. Yeah. That's awesome. Makes it sound much more fun than revising. <laughs> Makes it sound like an amazing creative endeavor versus like a slog through sentences and red marks. There are definitely some moments where I'm calling friends like, I can't, why did I say I could do this? And this is not going anywhere. What do I do? For sure. So it's not all fun, but it is, it's a good challenge to have. So you have so much coming up. So you have the Oprah Winfrey book, Frishy She Persisted. You're working mm-hmm. already on the rest of the series. Are you making any of these a movie? You must be. This must be like a whole big thing. That must be private conversation. I mean, I, there's nothing that I can share right now, but I'm definitely working on, like wanting some of my books to be adapted. And even, I mean, at one point, I'm not doing this right now, but I would love to write just not a book that's being adapted, but just write a movie screenplay or a TV series. So yeah, I always say I'm a writer. Right now, I'm writing a lot of children's books, but, you know, I want to do adult fiction. I want to have a poetry collection. So we'll see what happens in the years to come. These coffee shops have to open soon. There is too much for you to do. (laughs) It's been so interesting working in my space constantly now, right? As a person who does go out a lot to create. And in the beginning, it was really hard. I mean, for so many reasons. It was just, it felt like the world had been turned upside down. And emotionally, it was just hard to kind of process what was happening and also be on deadline for books and have to get things done and then be in a space that I really hadn't been in in a while creating. I had just come back from 2019 was a lot of touring and traveling for me. So I hadn't actually been home in a while. So it was so much that I had to just like take a moment. So those first few weeks of uh, quarantine were really really rough and nothing got done. And that's okay too. And I say that to writers all the time. Sometimes you just, you can't and that's okay. I still was paying attention and I feel like whatever was happening emotionally for me will show up in the work, in future works, you know, but it's also okay to just sit down and not, not feel like you have to create and push yourself to do, do, do. So it's, while this has been really hard And then, of course, all the protests and the resurgence of us having a national conversation about Black lives and all of that. It's just been a lot to be a part of and then also be creating during this time. So I've been really leaning into poets and activists who came before me, who also lived through really, really hard times and still found a way to write and create and actually used all of that anger, frustration, fear, sadness to push them to write. So Nikki Giovanni, Toni Morrison, you know, these giants who use their pen 
in moments of unrest. And that's been encouraging me that like I can I can do this. There's so many people who have already done this and left me great, great examples. So I've been really, really reminding myself of that. It's amazing. I love that perspective. That was also great advice for aspiring authors, but I would like a little more. <laughs> so what else, what else would you say to an aspiring author, aside from that the time is not always right and you shouldn't feel like you have to do, do, do all the time? And, you know, sometimes you just collect the information, you're not outputting it. It's more like the input stage. What else would you say to an aspiring author? So there's a couple of things that I think that are important. I, obviously, reading is super important. And I think whatever genre you're trying to write in, read, you know, a lot in that genre. But also, if you find something that you really, really love, then read that again. Like, Because when we're first, the first time you're taking in a movie or a play or a book, there's so many things you're missing, Right. So if you love a book, I I encourage people to go right back to the first page and then study that book and figure out what is this writer doing technically that is making me love this so much? Like, why did I keep turning the page? Why was I so engaged with these characters? And then figure out how to do that in your own work. And what can you learn from these writers? I mean, of course, you can take classes and that's great and all that. But there's something about understanding what makes you like something and how do you do that in your work and what are your kind of cornerstones as a writer? So figure out what is your voice and how do you want to get your voice out there? And then my other advice is not very like writerly, but it's find your people. (laughs) I I really think, like I was saying, writing is isolating and it, it is really hard. There are a lot of no's. There's a lot of weight. Like you just said, you know, there's oh, great, we have this big news up. You can't say anything for a while or you're going to get published, but not for, like my first book, I signed the contract in 2007. It was a picture book. It didn't come out till 2010. So like there's a lot of hurry up and wait in this industry. (laughs) And you're going to need some people who, even if they're not writers, but who are going to encourage you and who are going to push you and who are going to understand that you cannot maybe do the weekend brunch meet up because you're working on your novel or whatever. And I think if it weren't for my friends and the people who really love me and are going to tell me that I could do this, I don't think that I would be writing. And I needed to lean on people. And I'm so grateful that I have them. So yeah, it doesn't need to be a whole lot of people, but I think you need one or two who are going to really have your back and support you and push you and not let you give up on yourself. That is excellent life advice for anything, (laughs) any profession, anything you're trying to do in the world. I think that is spot on. (laughs) Perfect. Well, Renee, thank you so much. This has been so nice. I'm sorry I felt like I was a bit scattered this morning with like not retrieving the right names and information. And so I'm sorry for that. But I really enjoyed your book and I'm such a fan of yours. And I can't wait to now follow and see all the amazing things you're going to do. So. Oh, thank you. It's really nice to meet you. Thanks for having me. And congratulations again on your book. Oh, thank you. Yeah, maybe they'll come out in like 2026. (laughs) Who knows? (laughs) All right. Thanks so much, Renee. Thanks. (laughs) Okay, bye-bye. You've been listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books with Zibby Owens. Please make sure to sign up for my newsletter at zibbyowens.com to get more updates about episodes like these and also lots of live events. 
Once again, today's episode has been sponsored by Audible. I'm so excited that Audible has been working with Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to sponsor this episode. Audible.com slash Zibby. Check it out. If you think you don't have time to read, listen. Just listen the way you're listening to me right now and try out a book that way. You'll, you might really love it. Audible.com slash Zibby. Thanks. You can follow me on Instagram at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Thanks for listening. You could always email me at zibby at zibbyowens.com. Thank you.